Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I am your host, Tyler, and back with me today for our latest mailbag episode is the star of the podcast, of course, my coach, Charlie. I also want to make sure to remind you guys before I forget, because I will forget, that this episode is brought to you by the very fine folks at Alumni Hall. Make sure to check out Alumni Hall for all of your national championship gear needs. Charlie, you know that I love my George gear, right? Yep. That's, uh, is it fair to say it's about all that I wear? Pretty much all I ever see. Yeah, even, even when I go to work, I mean, I would say at least... Two, at least two, maybe three days a week, definitely every Friday, I'm rocking my George gear. But if I'm just out and about in town, yeah, of course, that's kind of just what I wear. I have a, I, I mean, I'm not trying to brag here, Charlie. I think I have a pretty impressive collection of Georgia gear. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, if, if I'm, if I'm going to brag about anything, I don't have much to brag about. I guess it's that. I am a connoisseur of all things Georgia gear. And being a connoisseur of Georgia gear... I have shopped at all the places that sell such items, and I have come to the realization very quickly upon stumbling in there for the first time that Alumni Hall is hands down the best place to get any and all George gear that you might be looking for, and I actually have to give Alumni Hall a very special shout out today for helping me, helping me remind all of the Gamecock fans in Columbia, South Carolina, that not only do we own them, but we own all of college football right now, and man, that feels incredible to say. So, a little backstory here. I was in Columbia over the weekend. Some of you might have seen a tweet or two I put out, um, rocking some of that Georgia gear. But I was I was in Columbia for a concert, and I didn't really want to be that guy who wore his Georgia gear to a concert because I feel like maybe that's a little out of place, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't want to be like all eyes on me. Like, what is this guy doing? Like, like this guy is, doesn't know where he is. Like, I didn't want to be that guy, but I mean, at the end of the day, I couldn't help myself. So, yeah, what did I do? I picked my favorite back-to-back natty item that I purchased from Alumni Hall over the past six weeks. And there's quite a few of them, guys. But I picked my favorite one, a thin red hoodie that uh, I've come to really, really like. And I couldn't help myself. I had to rock it. And I got to be honest, Charlie, it felt good. There, there's something about, I don't know how to describe it. There's something about being able to just kind of give the middle finger to your rivals like that. If you can even call South Carolina a rival, I know they see themselves as, as one of our rivals. I guess maybe kind of possibly a little bit they are, but they're way down that list. But there's something about being able to give the middle finger to your rivals like that without ever even having to say a word and just kind of being able to remind them that this is something that you will never, ever, ever have and there's not a damn thing that they can say or do about it. That is an intoxicating feeling and I have to thank alumni hall for that gear so that i could experience that it was pretty awesome not gonna lie and if you want to experience that make sure to go to alumnihall.com today or check them out in store inside the epps shopping center here in the classic city because alumni hall is where the bulldog shop but all right charlie we've got some questions to get to we're actually going to do something a little bit different at the end of the show as well so we want to make sure we have time to get to that so charlie where are we kicking things off today with our questions all right, well, I think it's safe to call this the Mike Bobo mailbag edition of the podcast because all but one of the questions today is about Mike Bobo's promotion to offensive coordinator to replace Todd Munkin, 
who, as we all know, has left to take the Baltimore Ravens offensive coordinator job. Congratulations. Best of luck. See you later. On to Mike Bobo. So the first question comes from Jared. He says there's no need to rehash the hire. Um, he's Bobo has a job now. He's interested in your thoughts, Tyler, about how our offense will change schematically and if there will be a production drop-off going from Munkin to Bobo. Yeah, Jared, thanks for the question, man. This is a really good question, and I know we touched on... Well, we didn't just touch on. We did an entire episode on the Mike Bobo hire and why I think it was a good hire. And I, I did touch on some of these concepts during the episode, but I focused more on the big picture of why I liked the hire and why I think it was the right hire at this time for our program. So I'm glad I get the chance to kind of dig into some of the specifics and kind of further explain why I think it was a good hire and the right hire for our program. So let's dive into this one here. So how much... Will our offense change schematically and how much of a production drop-off do I expect from Munkin to Bobo? Schematically, I really do not expect there to be wholesale changes. I really don't. I think that's a big part, number one, of why Kirby made this hire because Mike Bobo has spent the entire past season working with and learning from and sharing ideas with Todd Munkin. I mean, obviously, Munkin was the one there on game days making the call, sending those plays in. We know that. But with the exception of maybe Mike Leach and how Mummy back in the days when they literally invented the air raid offense, all of these different schemes are these offenses that we call schemes that different coaches run, different offensive coordinators, different defensive coordinators that they run. None of them are really novel, like their own thing. They It's an amalgamation of different concepts and different ideas that they have taken from different places and different people, and they've picked up from different stops that they've made. I mean, guys, there were things in our offense last year that Mike Bobo brought to the table. Yeah, Todd Munkin was calling the plays, and he was fitting all the pieces together, but he was taking ideas from different people. That's what all coaches do. That's what all good coaches do. Kirby Smart does it on the defensive side of the ball as well. There's a reason why they go and they meet with different coaches during the offseason, because they want to learn. They want to grow. They want to stay on the cutting edge of things, and Mike Bobo brought some fresh ideas to our program that were incorporated in this offense, and you know what? Todd Munkin has some of his ideas that maybe Bobo hasn't been exposed to at any point in his career prior to coming here back here to Athens. And he'll take some of those ideas that he got from Monk and some of the ideas that he's taking from other places. And I think the offense that you're going to see next year will look very similar to the offenses that we have seen the past three seasons under Todd Monk. And I, I truly do believe that. I soundly reject this notion that some people have out there that Hiring Mike Bobo as our offensive coordinator, promoting him to that position means that we're going to take a step back offensively, back into the Stone Age from like a schematic standpoint, and that we're not going to do the same things that we've been doing under Tom Munkin. That's crazy talk, guys. I mean, I think some people are stuck in the mindset that Mike Bobo still runs the 2007 Georgia offense. Like, that's not what Mike Bobo has done for a long time. It's not what he did in his last couple of years here in, in, at Georgia when he was at his most productive, when he produced some of the greatest offenses in Georgia history prior to Todd Mungin's arrival over the past three seasons. He evolved his offensive scheme into a more spread-based pro-style attack. And schematically, from like a, a core concept standpoint, what Mike Bobo has done traditionally is very similar to what we saw under Todd Mungin these last three years in terms of establishing a physical rushing attack, working play action, vertical shots down the field off of that trying to be explosive both in the run game and in the pass game. I mean, just look at the numbers, guys. If you don't believe me, just look at the numbers. Back in 2012, which I believe was Mike Bobo's best offense at Georgia. I know a lot of people point to the 2014 offense because we had over 40 points per game, the highest in Georgia history in that season, which was a great year as well. But 2012, we led the country in yards per play. So if you look at that year, Aaron Murray averaged 15.6 yards per completion, and that was the most by a Georgia quarterback since 1988. And in that same 2012 season, Murray also had the second most 40-yard throws in the country. He had 19 of them that year. He had the third most throws of 50 or more yards. He was our offensive coordinator for 92 games before he left to take the head coaching job at Colorado State. In those 92 games, he scored 30 or more points 57 times, so over half the time, well over half his games, it scored at least 30 points, scored 40-plus points 29 times, so just a hair under a third of his games as offensive coordinator, and more than 50 points 13 times. And I also want to put the context out there, guys, that when Mike Bubba was our offensive coordinator, at least the first half of his tenure here as ROC, offensive football in general was very different. We had not seen the offensive revolution that we have seen over the past, you know, maybe decade at this point, especially the past five or so years. 
If you really pay attention to where Mike Bobo has been and what his offenses have looked like since he left Georgia, you have seen a, a scheme that has kept up with how the game has changed and how the game has evolved. And I fully expect to see a very different type of offense. Certainly the same core concepts in terms of trying to run the football, take shots down the field, try to be explosive. But I do think you're going to see Bobo take advantage of some of the schemes and concepts of the modern game in a way that he didn't when he was here during his first tenure because nobody was really doing those things. So from a schematic standpoint, for all those reasons, I really don't think you're going to see much of a change. I do think that Bobo, I think the run game might be a little bit different because I think Bobo traditionally throughout his career, one thing that he has done better than Munkin is I think he schemed up the run game a little bit better in terms of some of his gap scheme stuff. And I think he had an influence on that this season as well under Todd Mungus. We were doing some things from a gap scheme standpoint that we weren't really doing the past two years. So I'm excited to see if maybe we can kickstart some of the explosive runs again that we, I don't, that's one thing under Todd Munkin that like we were so good. Like I, I'm like, I'm really not trying to be critical here because Todd Munkin was a revelation for us. The best offense corner that we have ever had. But one of the things, if you're trying to nitpick, one of the things that maybe wasn't as elite under Todd Munkin was the explosiveness in the run game. I think that we dropped off a little bit there. I think there's a chance that we could pick back up with that more so under Mike Bobo. Now, I do think Todd Munkin was superior to Bobo in terms of the pass game concepts. I mean, he just dials it up and schemes guys open in a way that I just haven't really seen many offense coordinators do. So we might take a slight step back there, but again, I think Bobo learned a lot from working with Munkin. I think the terminology will stay very similar uh, to kind of keep that cohesiveness within the program. So I don't think there's going to be a much of a drastic change at all. I believe in Mike Bobo and with all the talent that we have on hand, I also don't think the production is going to drop much at all either. I really don't. And I could be wrong and we'll see. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that he's going to be as productive as Todd Munkin. I do think Todd Munkin was just extraordinarily elite, but I also don't think there's going to be a dramatic drop off either. I really don't. All right, our next question comes from Derek. He wants to know, how does Mike Bobo's hire affect the starting quarterback battle? Yeah, I think this is huge for both Gunnar Stockton and Brock Vandegrift. I think it does give them maybe a little bit more of an opportunity. I think it opens that window up for them to potentially win this job over Carson Beck than maybe otherwise would have if Todd Munkin was still the offensive coordinator. Because what you have now is a brand new set of eyes. Now, I know that Bobo was here with, with the program last season, but he wasn't working directly with the quarterbacks. That was a, that was a Munkin thing. And now he will be. He'll be the quarterback coach. He'll be the offensive coordinator. And I, I do just think it's going to open things up even more than it otherwise would have been. I do think it was going to be an open competition. I don't think anyone had the job going into spring. But I, I think it's safe to say that Carson Beck was the leader in the clubhouse because he'd been in the system longer than both Vandegrift and Stockton. He'd been here with Munkin since the jump. The quarterback pecking order was Munkin's choice. He made that very clear when he was given a chance to speak to the media. And he was the one that pegged Carson Beck as the number two quarterback this season. And there was a reason for that. Either Stockton or Vandegrift was going to have to do something drastic to prove to Munkin that they deserve to unseat Carson Beck as the favorite for that job. Like They would have to be head and shoulders above better than him. And, and that certainly was possible, but I think it was probably unlikely. It still might be unlikely, but I do think it becomes more likely when you have Mike Bobo coming in here, who is a different guy. Yes, he's been in the program for a year, but he doesn't have as much of a history with Carson Beck. Maybe he's looking for something a little bit different in the in the qualities of his quarterback. Maybe mobility matters more to him than it did to to uh, Munkin. And we know it mattered to Munkin because he made that very clear when it, when it came to why he was continuing to, to go with Stetson Bennett over JT Daniels back in 2021. So I certainly do think it makes things even more open than they would have been. And here's the other thing too, guys. I, I I think most of you are aware of this, but if you're not, the Bobo family goes way back with Gunnar Stockton. Bobo's dad really helped train Gunnar Stockton as a young quarterback when he was in high school. So there is certainly a family connection there. If you guys remember, Gunnar Stockton was originally committed to South Carolina, and he's a dude from Georgia. Like he he's a dude from Rabin County, Georgia. Why did he commit to South Carolina? Well, Mike Bobo. Mike Bobo was the offensive coordinator at South Carolina when he committed to the Gamecocks. There is that family connection and a trust there between the Bobos and the Stocktons. And as soon as Bobo got fired and you know the whole staff at South Carolina got let go and they brought in Shane Beamer, well, Stockton reopens his, his process and of course he ends up here in Athens and the rest is history. Now we've got him and now he's reunited with Mike Bobo once again. So look, I'm not going to sit here and say that Mike Bobo is going to make this decision based off his familiarity with Gunnar Stockton and his, his family's background with Gunner and his family, but Mike Bobo was taught to play the quarterback position 
by his dad originally, right? And he goes to college and he gets coached up there as well. But his dad, you know, as a young young kid growing up in the state of Georgia, taught him to play that quarterback position. And my Bobo's father also taught Gunnar Stockton how to play the quarterback position. So there's a really good chance that Gunnar Stockton just plays the quarterback position the way that Mike Bobo thinks it should be played because they were taught by the same guy. So if there's any one quarterback in this battle, I think it helps more than the others. It's got to be Gunnar Stockton. It's got to be. Now, I don't think, again, I don't think the family connection is going to be, that's going to be the be all end all. And he's make that decision just based off some loyalty to Gunnar Stockton. Like, no, that's not going to happen. Like we, this is big boy football. We're trying to win football games. But again, the familiarity with, with how Gunnar was taught, how Bubba was taught by the same guy growing up, that could be something that in some way, shape or form works to Stockton's advantage. All right, listener Bryce says um, he knows last week you said that you think the Bobo hire is the right hire, but do you not have any doubts? And if you do have doubts, what's your biggest concern about life after Munkin? I mean, there's always some level of doubt. You never know until you know. But again, like I said earlier in the podcast, I am a believer in Mike Bobo. Bobo coordinated some highly productive offenses his last couple years here at Georgia. Again, some of the best offenses in Georgia history prior to Todd Munkin's arrival over the past three seasons. Still has the highest scoring offense in Georgia history with Hudson freaking Mason at quarterback. And you know, even in Colorado State, I know people like to use his experience at Colorado State as a mark against him, as evidence that he can't get the job done as an offensive coordinator here in Athens. And I think that's insanity. Because as I said last week, we are not hiring Mike Bobo to be the head football coach of the Georgia football program. We're hiring Mike Bobo to be the offensive coordinator and to move the football and put up yards, put up points. Mike Bobo has done that very, very well through most of his career. In fact, you go back to Colorado State, their offenses were, were good until really until like he had the major health issue and he he couldn't do his job the way he wanted to do his job, guys. I mean, he was coaching from the booth. Like he he the guy could not really move. He wasn't around the program nearly as much as he as he was prior to prior to the injury and prior to that health in the health situation. But if you dig just a little bit deeper into his time at Colorado State, which I know a lot of people don't want to do because it doesn't fit their narratives, but if you dig just ever so slightly deeper, you would find that during his time at Colorado State, he produced three of the top six offenses for a season in program history. And he also produced the school record for most yards per game in a season in 2017 at 492 and a half yards per game. Offense was not the problem at Colorado State. They couldn't stop anybody, and they had a major health issue that derailed the, the back end of his tenure there. So yes, I, I do believe in Mike Bobo, and I know I probably believe in him more than most fans do out there, at least the fans that you hear on social media, you see on social media and out there on message boards, because those those people are vocal. Maybe they're the vocal minority. I don't know. But I have seen enough of Mike Bobo during his career, whether it's at Georgia, outside of Georgia, to believe that he can do this job. But that doesn't mean that I have no doubts. If, if there's any concern I have, like one of the biggest concern is, and you hear people talk about how Kirby is just turning the Georgia program into like his the old boys club. I think that's that's a stretch. I think that's going too far. I mean, he's hired really good football coaches. When I hear like you're, you're turning into the old boys club, like he's bringing his best buddies, that to me is trying to say that he's bringing in guys that don't have the merit for the job, and I don't think that's true. I think Will Muschamp, yeah, he's not been great as a head coach, but he's been a really good defense coordinator pretty much everywhere he's been. Mike Bobo didn't work out for him as a head coach at Colorado State, but he has a track record of, of producing really, really good offenses, especially here at Georgia. But here is my concern with hiring people that you're very close with, some of your best friends. It's, it's for the same reason why, you know, the old cliche is you don't go into business with family, right? Because if things start to go south and they don't work out and changes need to be made, it's really, really hard for the person in charge if there's that, that connection, that loyalty to make the changes that need to be made. We saw that with Mark, Rick, and Willie Martinez. You know, Rick waited way too long to let go of Willie Martinez. He was loyal to a fault. And, like, their relationship wasn't nearly as strong as Bobo and, and Kirby Smart says. It doesn't go back near as far as that relationship does. So I've seen that at Georgia before. So I can't sit here and say it doesn't concern me to some degree. Because, like, I, I do believe it's going to work out and it's not going to be a problem. I don't think it'll get to that point. But, like, if, you know, God forbid it does... You know, it's hard to move on from people that you were close to. Not that you're close to, but your family is close to. That's a really difficult thing to do. So maybe on some level you worry about accountability, but here's the thing. Here's why I really don't worry about it. 
We're talking about Kirby Smart. This dude is all business. This dude wants to win. And if you're not getting the job done, it might be difficult for him to do it, but he will make that move. Him and James Coley were really, really close. They were good friends. Not as close as Bobo and, and, and Kirby. I'm going back to their college days. Not that close, but they were close. They were good friends. And he made that move after one year. He made that move after one year, and I know he gave him the job. Maybe you can say that was a mistake, but when he saw it was a mistake, what did Kirby do? He fixed it. He rectified it, and he got rid of James Cole, and he moved on. So I just think Kirby's different. I think he's cut differently. Like, honestly, it'd be hard for me. Like, if if I was the head coach of the Georgia football program, and I hired one of my, you know, best friends from college to be our offensive coordinator, and, you know, one of my former roommates or whatever, I would have a really hard time firing him if things weren't working out, because I'm not cut like that. I'm not made like that. Okay, I'll be honest with you. I'm just not, but... Kirby doesn't really have that problem. So I think it's going to work out. I don't think, I don't think it'll come to that. But even if it does, I, I think Kirby will, um, will move on. I think he's already shown that. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right. Henry wants to know how does the change of offensive coordinator affect Georgia's recruitment of quarterback Dylan Rayola? I don't think it affects our recruitment of Rayola at all. Like at least not in a negative way. I don't think it reduces our chances of ultimately landing him. And if you guys aren't familiar with Dylan Rayola, which I'm sure you are, because we've talked about him plenty of times on this podcast, he is the number one ranked quarterback in the 2024 recruiting class. Not only is he the number one ranked quarterback, he's the number one ranked overall player. He has all the makings of a generational talent at the quarterback position. We were heavily involved in his recruitment going back to his his sophomore junior years. He ultimately ends up coming to Ohio State. Things kind of cooled off between he and he and us, and he goes to Ohio State, or at least committed to Ohio State, then backed off his commitment to Ohio State late this football season, decommitted, now is wide open, and we are certainly heavily in the mix once again. And I do understand how in the service you might say, well, like, man, losing Todd Munkin and all the success that he's had over the past couple of years, that's really going to hurt us in our recruitment of Rayola because, I mean, that that was the attraction, right? Playing in this kind of offense, this proven offense that's won back-to-back national titles. And, and I do understand where that mindset would come from. But again, we're talking about Kirby Smart here. We're talking about Kirby Smart, and Kirby Smart is built differently. He understands these things. He gets out ahead of these things. He's not an idiot. He knew that that Munkin was potentially exploring a move back to the NFL. I mean, heck, guys, he was trying to look at the NFL after last season. So Kirby understood that, and there was a plan in place. There was a clear plan in place, and they were preparing guys like Dylan Rayola and their families for this potential reality. And you know, especially as things started to heat up between Munkin and the Ravens, and at one point Munkin and the Buccaneers after our you know second consecutive national championship, you know Kirby is going to go to the family, says so going to go to Dylan and say, hey, look, guys, like there's a good chance that Todd's going to move on, but if he does, I want you to know you're okay, things are taken care of. We've got this guy ready to kind of jump in, and here's his background. You start to get to know him, you start building that relationship, and here's the other thing with Dylan Rayola specifically. Dylan Rayola's father, I'm not sure how many of you are aware of this, Dylan Rayola's father used to play in the NFL, and for many years, he was Matthew Stafford's center for the Detroit Lions. They have a close family relationship. In fact, in fact, the Rayolas, including Dylan himself, watched the Super Bowl last weekend with the Staffords, with Matthew Stafford. That's how close they are. And who was Matthew Stafford's offensive coordinator and quarterback coach at Georgia? Oh yeah, that's right, Mike Bobo. And what has Matthew Stafford done every time he's been publicly asked about Mike Bobo? He has offered unending praise for him. 
In fact, Dylan Rayola's father put out an interview. I guess he was asked by one of the recruiting services out there, and he did an interview with them, and he was asked about, obviously, the the coaching change at, at the coordinator position here for Georgia and how that affected Dylan's recruitment to Georgia. And he openly talked about Matthew Stafford and how Stafford just raves about Mike Bobo and speaks extraordinarily highly of him. So normally, under usual circumstances, you don't really want to have to undergo an offensive coordinator change when you're trying to recruit the number one player, the number one quarterback in the country. That usually hurts you. It hampers your chances. But in this specific unique case, I don't think it hurts us. I'm not going to sit here and say it 100% helps us, but it absolutely does not hurt us because of... Kirby getting out ahead of things, Matthew Stafford speaking highly of Bobo, Bobo building a relationship with Rayola behind the scenes, all those things have kind of conspired to keep us very, very, very much in the thick of this race for Dylan Rayola. All right, our last question for today comes from Will. Will says that he knows the record has improved dramatically this season, but the loss to Alabama was brutal. How has a football school like Alabama been able to get to the top of the college basketball world? And do you think that will ever be possible for Georgia? So I guess this is our one non-Mike Bobo question in this mailbag edition of the show today. So basketball, I know that was a, man, what a tough, tough look against Alabama. A 50-point loss. 49 points, but 50 points, guys. That was a tough, tough look. But hey, Bama has had a habit of doing that to teams this year, especially when they're coming off losses. They lost midweek to Tennessee. was not a good look for them. And just like earlier in the year when they lost to Oklahoma, but in a game they absolutely had no business losing. Oklahoma is terrible, and somehow they lost to Oklahoma. They got blown out by Oklahoma, actually. And they came out, and they beat Vandy at home just about as bad as Bama beat us at home on Saturday. So there's no, I mean, you never want, there's always shame in getting beat by 50 points, but Bama is is really good. So that's kind of just where we are as a basketball program right now. Like we just, we cannot hang with the elite programs. And right now, Bam, at least for this one season, is an elite team. And we just cannot hang with those kind of teams right now. We don't have the personnel for that, especially not playing them on the road. But Will, as to your question as to like how Alabama, a football school like Georgia has traditionally been, how they've been able to get to the top of the college basketball world, it's really one thing, man. I mean, it's one thing more than, than anything else. They hired the right guy. Like Nate Oates is legit. They hired the right guy. And not only did they hire the right guy, now they are in year four of the right guy. And things are absolutely clicking. He's been a monster recruiter. He runs a really attractive type of offense, which is very, very fast paced. He lets guys just chuck threes. Like they, they all just have green lights. They just, hey, if you see a three pointer you like, take it. There's just a lot of freedom within that offense, so he's been able to recruit at a really high level, and he's landed some some big-time guys, most notably Brandon Miller this year. He's probably going to be the number one pick in the in the NBA draft, or he'll certainly be in the top three, and the guy's been the best freshman in the country, and it hasn't been remotely close. Like He is he is incredible. He is lights out, but it's not just him. Clowney is another guy. He's, he's a post player, a long, tall post player that can step out and, and stretch a defense and knock down a three. Charles Bediaco is a, is, a, is a rim protector. They have a bunch of guards. None of the guards are like elite. I guess you could call Brandon Miller a guard. I think he's really more of a combo forward. But none of their guards are elite, but they all are good. They can all make shots and can all hurt you on any given night. But he's really done the one thing that I think you have to do when you're trying to build a basketball program. I've mentioned this a couple of times, at least I kind of alluded to it over the past couple of months when we've been talking a little bit more about, about college basketball now that the football season has ended. You've got to go out and get shooters. Too many teams out there get mesmerized by the measurables. Like, oh my God, this guy can run this fast, jump this high, he's this good of an athlete, and like his ceiling's off the charts. Okay, cool. That's great that his ceiling's off the charts. But if you get those kind of guys, the Brandon Miller caliber players, they're only going to be in your program for one year. So you need to find a guy, number one, that knows how to play the game already. He's already a polished guy. Even though he might not be the highest rated guy, but if you notice how to play the game, go after those guys and get guys that can shoot. That's what you have to do. Find shooters. It's all about guard play and it's all about knocking down shots. That's what the college game, really basketball in general, has become. And Nate Oates has figured that out. And that's like their, their offense, what they do, guys. And he's not the only coach that does this, but he really, really leans heavily into the analytics. They take threes and they shoot layups. They don't take mid-range jump shots. He considers that a bad shot. They take threes and they try to get to the rim. That's what they do. So what do you need if that's your offensive style? You need guys that can shoot. You need guys that can handle the ball and get to the rim and attack the basket and finish at the rim. And that's what he's recruited to. And he's done a masterful job at it. Now, saying that, as good as Alabama is this year, they haven't been that good consistently under Nate Oates. This is, this is certainly the high watermark for them. 
They were 16 and 15 and 8 and 10 in the SEC in his first season. They did not make the NCAA tournament. Then in year two, which was the COVID year, they uh, had a, that, that was his breakthrough season. Alabama. They went 26 and seven. They went 16 and two in the SEC. They finished first in the regular season. They made it to the Sweet 16. Then they followed that up last year. They were okay. Um, it was a pretty big step back for them. They were 19 and 14 overall. They barely got into the NCAA tournament. They were 99 overall in the SEC. And they got knocked out in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Now, this year, they are back up to being one of the best teams in the country. 23-4 and overall, 13-1 and in the SEC. And I don't think they're the best team in the country. I do not think they're winning the national title. But they are certainly one of the best teams in the country. And this, this year, there's not really one single dominant team. And there's any number of teams that could win it. I guess Alabama certainly could win it um, if things fall their way and, and they get the right breaks and get the right matchups. But that's besides the point. The point is... It hasn't happened overnight. There's been some ups, there's been some downs, but the bottom line is Alabama hired the right guy. They found the right dude and they've stuck with him and now they're reaping the benefits of that. I think that we have hired a really good coach. Now, is Mike White at the level of Nate Oates? I think that remains to be seen. I think it's fair to say he hasn't had the highs of Nate Oates. He never at Florida, never had a season like Nate Oates has had this season. He never had a season like Nate Oates had back in, uh, in 2020, 2021, when he won the ACC regular season. I mean, I think it was back 2016, 2017. I think Florida under Mike White was second in the SEC. I think they went 14-4 and four overall, or 14-4 and four in the league that year. That's, that, that was the year they made it to the Elite Eight. So they had, he had a really, really good team that year, but not quite. I guess he's made it further than Nate Oates made it. Nate Oates has never made it past the Sweet 16 in his, in his career, whether that was at Buffalo, whether that was at Alabama. So I guess Mike White has made a deeper tournament run, but in terms of regular season success, Nate Oates has has had a better season than Mike White has ever had. I think that's fair to say. But I think that we hired the right guy. I think that we hired a really good coach. And, you know, this year, you know, in year one at Georgia, look, Georgia, the, the program that Mike White inherited this season was in far worse shape than the program that Nate Oates inherited Alabama back in 2019, 2020. Okay. And Nate Oates went 16 and 15 overall, 8 and 10 in the league. Mike White is probably going to finish somewhere around. I think he'll actually. If we can get one more win, I mean, that'll give us 17. I think I think we have a chance to get to 18 regular season wins and to potentially get to seven or eight wins in the conference. I know it doesn't look like that after that beatdown in Tuscaloosa over the weekend. But, I, I mean, with Colin Castleton being out for four for the rest of the season, he broke his wrist. He's their best player. We get them at home. Um, we get Missouri at home. Missouri's had a solid year, but they're not, I mean, they're not a, they're not a juggernaut. That's a team that we could potentially beat at home and you get South Carolina on the road. Carolina is one of the worst teams in the league. Like, those are three wins that we could get. Now, are we going to get all three of three of those? Probably not, but could we get two? Yeah, I think that's very realistic. So at the end of the day, I think Mike White's year one here at Georgia is going to look very similar to Nate Oates' year one at Alabama, and that was with inheriting a much, much more difficult job than Nate Oates inherited. Now, what remains to be seen is what is he going to do next year? How is he going to follow it up? Because Nate, Nate Oates followed year one up with a 26-7 run, 16-2 overall, first place in the SEC regular season, sweet 16 run. Is Mike White going to be poised to do that next year? I don't know if I see that absent a massive roster change, but here's the thing with college basketball, guys. You can flip the roster instantaneously in one year. With all the transfers, I mean, all these rosters change dramatically from year to year. So, with the success that we had this year, it's all relative. It's a relative success. I understand, you know, we want to be making tournaments. So you can say, how can you call this a successful season? I call this a successful first year for Mike White because this was all about building the foundation to make our program more attractive to potential recruits, to prospective transfer prospects, to get those kind of guys in here. Because we could only attract a certain kind of guy this past year coming off a year that we won one conference game and six games overall. We were not going to be able to go out and get a bunch of big time transfers because our program was not at that level. It was not an attractive program. Mike White has made our program more attractive this year, and I think we can get a higher level transfer coming in next year. So we'll see what we can do next year. I think we, I think there's a really good chance we could make the NCAA tournament next year. I think it, it probably largely depends on who comes back. If we can get Cario Quindo and Terry Roberts to both come back, and if Cario can continue to develop his game offensively, if Abdur Rahim comes back as our sniper, as our sharpshooter, and we add some some solid pieces in the transfer portal, I think this is a team that absolutely could contend for an NCAA tournament berth. Now, are we going to contend to be, you know, regular season SEC champions? I mean, that's a stretch. I don't think I don't see that happening. But give Mike White a couple years as we continue to build this program out, and I think that this is a team that can be a perennial NCAA tournament team. I do think that we are a ways away from being what Alabama has been this year and being a team that is like a legitimate national title contender on the basketball front. But again, with the transfer portal, 
things can change instantaneously. If you land one guy, if you land one big time recruit, like we're recruiting this guy, he's a five star dude um, out of Florida. His name's Asa Newell. We got his brother on the roster right now as a walk on, and that gives us a leg up. Now, does that mean we're going to land him? No, of course not. But if we land a guy like that and you land some big time transfers, all of a sudden now things can get really interesting. But it really comes back to hiring the right guy, and I think that we have finally done that, and I'm very excited to see where Mike White is going to take this program. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, guys, we are back, and we want to get those mailbag questions in while the Bobo hire was still relatively fresh and on everyone's mind. We want to make sure to answer those questions as timely as we could. So we got that done, but the back half of today's episode, we're going to do something a little different and introduce a new segment that we had decided to call List Season. And this segment, I mean, really, it's all about having fun and just talking about some different sports-related topics that we don't normally get a chance to get to on this podcast, especially during the college football season. And you guys know, like we we have a brand, like we do a ton of hardcore deep dive sports talk on this podcast, and we always will. Like that's that's what we're about. But there's only so much of that you can do during the football offseason when there aren't actual games being played. There's only so much you can do. But we still like getting on here. We still like putting content out for you guys. And we know that just because it's the offseason doesn't mean the demand for content goes away. In fact, I would say, if anything, it seems to actually pick up during the offseason because so many other podcasts go dark this time of year and they just pick back up like July, August when the season's about to kick back around. But we don't do that. We go year-round. We know that demand's still there. We know you guys care and we want to make sure to fill that demand as much as we possibly can. So we want to keep bringing you guys content, but maybe do it in some different creative ways from time to time here during the offseason. Keep it fresh, keep things entertaining, and, uh, and just keep the vibes high during the offseason. But the idea for this segment, I mean, it came from our observation of just how the offseason over the past couple of years has, it's just kind of become list season with all these different publications trying to do what we're doing, trying to create content for people and get creative doing that. And an easy way to do that is to put out lists about every possible thing you could think of anything and everything imaginable top transfers top coaches the lists go on and on and on and on so we've noticed that we've seen that and we're just going to lean fully into that and have some off-season fun and for our first list season charlie we're going to talk something very near and dear to both of our hearts and i'm sure the hearts of most of our listeners out there and that is food charlie I'm a foodie. Uh, are you a foodie? Like when I hear foodie, I think like pretentious type appetites. Like you know, you're eating like no, really like, love... white white tablecloth dinner restaurants. No, just someone who loves food and enjoys food. But is that really the definition of a foodie? That's my definition. I think it was like a food critic type person. Okay, well you can have that definition. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I, I and that's why I said like I know you. You I, I, is it okay to say this to a woman that I know that you like food? I don't care. Yeah, I mean, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, you're you're in very good shape, but I, I, as someone who's known you for a long time, I know that you, I mean, you make it very clear that you like to eat food, and you actually also make it very clear that you're jealous that I get to eat as much food as I get to eat, and you don't get to eat as much as, as I do, so I know that that can be tough. That's true for most men. I know, and I, I'm sorry about that, Charlie. I really am. I know. I am sorry, but I, I know that you love food. I love food, and our listeners out there love food. I mean, who doesn't love food? So that's what we're going to start with today with our first list season, uh, and specifically we're talking about bar food here even more specifically sports bars so today charlie and i we're going to give you our respective top five chain sports bar rankings now charlie before we dive into this can we at least put this out there that ideally you don't have to rely on a chain sports bar yes ideally i I i'd say if you can find a really good local spot that isn't really a chain especially some of these sec towns like the KSR bar, maybe in Kentucky, Harpo's in Missouri, some really great places like that. The, that's ideal, but not everywhere that you go when you're looking for a sports bar has great, just like local places that 
fit what I would call a sports bar. We have TVs playing continuously, playing sports continuously, bar type food, um, good vibes, good energy, all those kind of things. You don't have that in every town. So we're going to go top five chain sports bars because I think that listeners out there might be able to identify with that a little bit more because these are places they would more commonly see, right? So that's where we're going chain sports bars. Ideally, you wouldn't have to rely on those, but that's what we're going with today. So Charlie, I'm going to let you start us off here and uh, start at the bottom, work your way up. Start at the bottom? Okay, I mean, you have to balance food and TVs. And my number five could be two places, but really... I don't prefer either. Okay, let me ask you this. So before you get into number five, so you said you have to balance food and TV. So let's just talk about this real fast. What are you looking for in a sports bar? Like what do they have to have to be on your list? I have to be able to see at least, you know, four or five TVs from where I'm sitting and not have to hurt my neck. And they can't be like these small little TVs. So we're talking like big Correct. screen TVs. I should not need to put on my glasses to watch. And food-wise, I know that you just generally like food, as do I, as do a lot of listeners out there, but when you're talking bar food and, like, you mentioned it has to be a balance between food and TVs, what kind of food are you looking for? What makes good sports bar food? Um, I'm not really into wings. I know a lot of people like wings. I'm not because they're messy. Um, I like good fries, good burgers, good appetizers. Um, All about the apps for me. Nachos. Yeah, I don't ever really order. Well, on game days, I split a burger with my mom. That's like tradition and it's bad luck if we don't do that. But yeah, I like appetizers. Yeah, Fried so, pickles are always good. No, I'm not a pickle guy. I know that mm-hmm. you like those. I'm not a pickle guy. You asked I, me I'm, no, I'm and a I'm I, I am the weirdo. I'm just saying that's, yes, people like fried pickles. I know I'm weird. Yeah. So, okay, interesting. So I'm also not as, like, I, I like wings. Don't get me wrong. I do like wings, but like, it's not ever like the first thing that I want to get, right? I'm with you. I'm I'm an app guy. I'm a 100% appetizer guy. I rarely order entrees at sports bars, occasionally if it's something that's really good. But usually I just order a bunch of apps over the course of the day because usually if I'm at a sports bar, I'm staying for a while, right? Yeah. I mean, it, especially if it's like a, a Georgia football game and say the game's a night game, I get there when the place opens and so I might be there for seven, eight hours. So I, and I feel bad not ordering food so I want to make sure I'm ordering a little bit as we go so I can, you know, keep staying there and kind of not have the crazy guilty conscience. So appetizers kind of fit that bill for me. What is your go-to app? Like, what are you looking for? When you, when you pull up a menu and you see their appetizers, what are you looking for? You said fried pickles. What else? Um, I like nachos with like steak or chicken or barbecue. Yeah. If you can or... find me a place that's got like barbecue pork nachos, like I am, an, I am, I'm, I'm, and heaven. I like it with melt, like cheese dip and, Shredded cheese. A hundred percent, Charlie. I'm big, I'm big on this. So, like, I love nachos. I love nachos. But far too often, like, you find places that just give you... It's a bunch of chips with, like, a sprinkle of cheese, right? Yeah. It's horrible. And that's infuriating. There's very little in, in the world that makes me more angry than... Poorly made nachos. I'm with you on that. Like, get, put the queso dip on there, and you put and a lot, not just a handful, a sprinkle, a lot of like melted cheese on there. Like, there's like I guess cheddar cheese or whatever, pepper jack cheese, whatever that is melted once it's put in the oven. You got to have both of those. Put some barbecue pork on there. Steak if if, if that got steak, that's fine. I'm good with beans. I get all the stuff on the side. I, I'm a very picky eater. I don't get like the. I don't get tomatoes and onions and jalapenos and all that. I know I'm weird, but yeah, nachos are big. Um, I love a good loaded fry, like cheese fries of some sort. Yeah. Here's one thing that you don't see much anymore. When I was a kid growing up, you saw it all over the place. What about potato skins? Oh yeah, I love potato skins, but you don't find them anymore. You just like they've been replaced. Like they are the rarest of appetizer items you find on sports bar menus these yeah, days. Yeah, they're a lot of work. That's why. They were a lot of work. I mean, you took a potato and you cut it in half. No, and you have to bake it. But how is that any more work than, okay. It's more difficult. Okay. And some places will scoop it out and put it back in. Okay, I'll take your word for that. But you don't see it much. As a kid growing up, I used to love those. You don't see those very often. But yeah, those kind of things. I'm looking for apps more than anything else. If you And good cheese dip, like good like queso cheese dip. Like if you, if you can find some really good queso, then I'm all about that. But anyway, so I just want to put that out there. Those are what, That's what we're looking for. Those are our qualifications. So anyway, Charlie, I'll turn it back to you. Start at the bottom, work way up to number one. You want me to do all of them? Yeah, sure. sure. Oh, okay. All right, so at five, I don't prefer either of these places. Uh, either Buffalo Wild Wings or Hooters. 
Hooters has decent tots. I can't really think of anything else I would eat there. Buffalo Wild Wings. They have wings. the best wings. If you like wings, I think I, I don't like the wings. Breaded, their breaded wings with their sauce is incredible. Yeah, I'm not into the wings. Um, Buffalo Wild Wings, I don't even really like their french fries, but the, they have a lot of television. So. That's the only thing. that They, they have TVs all over the place, but food-wise, like... The worst, probably. Yeah. Um, number four, this is kind of like, mm, it's a sports bar if you sit at the bar, and that's Chili's. You can always no, find... No, you stole that for me. You can always find something good at Chili's. I, I think did not think you would have that on your list. We all had to go to the Chili's. Where were we? Uh, in Nashville. That one trip. Yeah, that, Nashville. One, that one trip we all made in Nashville. It was like, yeah. all the bars were full, and it was like, well, guess we're going to Chili's. It turned out to be a great day. They do... Um, Two for one, pretty much all day on yeah, Saturday. Yeah, you actually stole that for me. Um, I and Ole Miss as well, same thing. Like it's there's not much going on in Oxford. Arbor. It's very very small, so all these people packed in there. All the Georgia fans making the trip. Um, it was just easier to get in the Chili's, and they had like a nice little sports bar area. So I've I've gone to a couple different games where like the Chili's is the number one sports bar to go to, even though it's not really a sports bar, but they're well, their bar area. I have to like qualify that. It's just the bar area. Yeah, they have great queso. They have um, good fries. Good chicken fingers, good burgers. I mean, I always get a good burger there. Chili's are freaking awesome. Yeah. Like, if you're talking about like chain restaurants, again, ideally you don't want to go to a chain restaurant, but it's hard to beat Chili's if you're talking about chain restaurants. Yeah. And then number three, I have Wild Wings. They have pretty decent food. Um, I can eat their boneless wings. Those aren't bad. They have good French fries, good tots, those kinds of things. Number two is a local establishment. I know you're going to say it's not a chain, but it is because there are four of them. And that is Blind Pig. I I will allow it, I guess. It, t- technically, it's a chain now, right? There are four in Athens? Yeah. There's four in Athens. I mean, I go to the Blind Pig at least once a week. So, I mean, I love the Blind Pig. I just didn't think of it as a chain chain. It's like just a very, very local chain. But I guess technically it fits the criteria of chain. Yeah. Right, I'll, I'll allow it. And then at number one, I have Twin Peaks. Okay. Which has really good food and really good TVs. I also did not know that you would have Twin Peaks on your list. Um, Twin Peaks is on my list. We'll come back to Twin Peaks in a second here. All right. So we have a couple of them that are similar. Uh, I think I have two that you did not have. Um, Coming number five, I, I I think this is a sports bar. I'm going to call it a sports bar because it's got it fits the criteria. It's got TVs. Uh, maybe not as much as like, um, I don't know, like a Buffalo Wild Wings. But it's got enough TVs for me to call it a sports bar. Um, and it's got, I mean, yeah, I think it's, it's got bar-ish food, but it's got, it's pizza. It's like pizza bar food. Old Chicago Pizza and Tap Room, Charlie, are you familiar with this, this establishment? Yeah, I've been there before. Okay, so I like this place a lot. I haven't gone a ton of times, but every time I've gone, great stuff. They have like these like pizza bite things. I don't know how to describe them, uh, but the great appetizers. Now, the only thing about if you go to a place like Old Chicago Pizza and Tap Room, the food is fantastic. I actually might have the best food of all these places. I mean, it's pizza. It's good pizza. Solid pizza. But, like, if you're sitting there all day, like, you, I mean, how much pizza can you eat before you have to get rolled out of there in a freaking cart? It's very, very heavy. So, that's more of like, if I'm just going there to watch, like, a game, okay, I can do that. But, I love pizza. It's good, solid pizza. Um, good appetizers there. Good TV viewing. Nice place. So, I'll go Old Chicago Pizza and Tap Room, number five for me. Uh, I have Hooters. You also had Hooters. Um... I think Hooters has solid appetizers, which again, that's what I'm looking for. I love their wings as a kid, man. I, I used to go, uh, me and my buddy would go and we would get like the 50 wings and we would try to, we would split split them and I, we would always finish them. I don't know how many I would eat, 25 at a time, something crazy, like a, a ton of them. Um, but I have good fond memories of that as a child. I remember watching, I was at Hooters, uh, what was that, 2000, what was that, 2003? Sean Jones, yeah, Sean Jones, uh, right before halftime, Tennessee's about to go into score, they fumble, Sean Jones picks it up, runs it back for a touchdown right before half, and I think that was 2003, I was at a Hooters watching that game, chowing down on some on some Hooters wings, I don't really eat their wings much anymore, I'm again, more of an apps guy, but um, they, have, they have a solid TV viewing situation, um, yeah, there's not one here in Athens anymore, there used to be one spot in time, but I think Hooters is solid. Uh, I had Chili's Bar Area, Charlie, that number three for me. And again, I have to I have to emphasize, it's not all of Chili's. All of Chili's is not a sports bar. I understand that. But if you find especially like the, the renovated Chili's, like they've been updated, where their bars, the bar area is big, nice, has TVs in there. 
that to me, that one, that part of it, I'm going to call that a sports bar. I'm going to call that a sports bar. I know maybe it doesn't fit the criteria, but we're going to go with that. Charlie, you mentioned they have two for ones. Usually every time I've been there, two for ones. Uh, their queso dip is the best queso dip. Their skilled queso on earth. And their, their chips and salsa, the bottomless chips and salsa, you cannot beat that. Best chips anywhere. Uh, their chicken fingers, again, I'm going back to my childhood. It was my favorite childhood restaurant. Um, I can still chow down those all day long. The Southwestern egg rolls, anything and everything on their menu is basically freaking awesome. So Chili's bar area, number three for me. I also have Twin Peaks, Charlie. I was not aware of Twin Peaks until, what, five, six months ago, until September. We went to Columbia, South Carolina. I went to Columbia for the uh, Georgia-South Carolina game. And I was trying to find a sports bar. I mean, I've gone to so many different places in Columbia. For their, I've gone to the, they used to have a, uh, they still have a Carolina Ale House. Got tired of that. Don't really like that much. Went to Wild Wings for a couple of years. Not great. Don't love that. They have this place called Hickory Tavern we did one time. It's fine. It's okay. And then uh, I was just kind of looking online. It's like, what? What? They got to have something better. And I saw this place, Twin Peaks. I was like, huh, what is this place? And I looked at the menu. And I was like, okay, this sounds incredible. Went there. TVs, incredible viewing, especially if you sit at the bar area. Fantastic. Went back there again this past weekend when I went to the concert in Columbia and watched a bunch of college basketball. So Twin Peaks, uh, they have these awesome, like, they have a bunch of different kind of cheese fries you can get, and I get the kind with the with the barbecue pork on there. It's fantastic, great stuff there. Uh, really good variety in their menu too. So Twin Peaks got to be high up there for me. And Charlie, I'm I'm actually surprised you didn't have this one on there. Walk-ons. I forgot about that one. Walk-ons Bistro and Bar. Yeah, I don't. I mean, their food is good, but I I've only been well, no. There's, I've been to two. I was not impressed with the TV viewing situation. I had to like, yeah, it wasn't convenient. I, which one are you talking about? The one in New Orleans I like right there across from the Superdome. I know I've been to a couple, but yeah, I just, yeah, I remember that the TVs were not in viewing friendly areas. That might have just been where I was sitting, but no. Okay, fair enough. I've only been to two of them. Uh, I went to the one in Baton Rouge. I've been to one in New Orleans several times. I've gone there for sure bowls and just going to New Orleans. So I like walk-ons a lot. I, like, I mean, it's it's bar food. But it's like Cajun-style bar food. They have different kind of things you don't normally see at a sports bar. Um, talking about cheese fries, they have these like waffle cheese fry pork things, and they're incredible. Boudin balls. They got like the Cajun flavor to it. Um, I think the TV viewing is solid. I think in terms of like sports bar like bar food i think it's 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 some of the best you can find out there so yeah it's, it's a little different so walk-ons for me it's gotta be number one but um yeah that's the list list number one list number one and we'll have plenty more of these and guys look we have some ideas for different lists that we're gonna do with these list season uh segments but if you have any ideas for us that you would like to hear us give you our our, our thoughts on please shoot them to us um on twitter it's at glory underscore uga also hit us up on uh, or just email us. That's glorygpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram as well. But all right, guys, we appreciate it. Thank you for being here. Charlie, uh, hopefully we'll be back next week. We'll see. We'll, we'll figure that out here in the next couple of days. But thank you guys for being here. We always appreciate you. One way or another, we will have more content for you guys next week and each and every week leading up to the start of the 2023 college football season. But for Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. Go dogs.